Good day, church family. This is Pastor Scott. And Kevin. Then this is another edition of the post-sermon wrap-up podcast. And we are excited today to uh, launch into a discussion from this last week's message, a kind of standalone Theology Matters uh, perspective on the doctrine of sin and really the sinfulness of sin and how that really is going to set the the stage here for the Ephesians study. So maybe even as we think about that, Kevin, why why this sermon? Uh, why does this appropriately set the stage for what we're going to talk about in Ephesians uh, coming up in the few weeks ahead? Yeah, I, Ephesians is such a grand study of the sovereignty of God in our salvation. Um, just the marvelous grace of God in saving sinners. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first three chapters particularly of Ephesians are just like this grand doctrinal manifesto of like, look at God, he's amazing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that comes at us so strong and that it's like, what? how do I even understand that God is so active and so free and so responsible in my salvation? I thought I was the one who did all this. Mm-hmm. And so to rightly understand what God does in salvation, we have to rightly understand the problem that his salvation is addressing, mm-hmm. namely the problem of our sin. And this week, we focused on really what theologians call the noetic effect of sin, mm-hmm. which is the effect of sin on the mind. Greek mm-hmm. word is nous for mind, and so it's called noetic effect of sin. But mm-hmm. it's a fancy word that just reveals, that, that discusses what is the sinfulness of sin and how does sin impact the human will mm-hmm. and the human desire and the human mm-hmm. heart uh, apart from God. And based on what you discussed on Sunday, I mean, the answer to that is utterly (laughs) or totally, right? It's uh, it's everything from making us spiritually deaf to blind to to enable to dead, dead, right? (laughs) And I know even on Monday last week, we had like three or four more, right, of those that we could have added to the list. Yeah, gullible, deceived, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we could keep going. But the, the point is, it's not that... Uh, sin makes us absolutely as worse as we possibly could be Mm -hmm. because frankly uh, we can continue to get worse in sin Mm -hmm. but it is to say that from a biblical perspective every part of the human uh, constitution Mm -hmm. is impacted and corrupted by sin Mm -hmm. and and distorted and perverted by sin's pollution Mm. I like to call this banana theology. Do you, oh. know, what, do you know what banana theology is? Okay, I'll play is? the monkey. I'll play <clears throat> right, the monkey. Excellent. You be the banana. So the way I describe this is to people, if you ever have put a banana in your lunchbox, what happens to everything else in your lunchbox then? Oh, it smells like a banana. It smells like it and even tastes like it, right? <laughs> so if you had your peanut butter sandwich or whatever, which honestly, you know, a little hint of banana is not the worst thing, but your potato chips, now you got banana chips. Oh, you got, yeah, so it's, but it, it is to say that it's not that everything becomes a banana. Right. But it is to say that everything now is tainted by the the effect of that banana. That's a good very idea it. of thinking yeah. of what, uh, what sin does to our life. It touches every uh, perspective of who we, we are. So if we think about that then, that naturally leads to a whole host of questions and that yeah. um, even uh, kind of going to a comment that you made in the sermon, you had mentioned that um, 
think the way you would talk about it is there's no such thing then as an innocent person. And so naturally our mind goes to like no innocent person. Like, okay, I realize that not everybody's as bad as they possibly could be, but no innocent person, right? So you look at that, you know, sweet little baby sitting there in service, right? And yeah. newborn and you think to yourself, wait, so they're not innocent according to scripture. So how do we think about... Uh, yeah, our, our perspective, especially newborns, but then even, you know, for a lot of people, they think to themselves, well, what does that mean even so if that baby were to tragically die tomorrow, sure. what would happen to them? Because they're they're covered in sin, they're, they're tainted by sin, so what happens then? Yeah, great questions, and frankly, questions that are loaded with a lot of emotion. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've sat at the bedside of, of parents uh, in hospitals <clears throat> as they're grieving the loss, the tragic loss of their infants. I I understand some of the emotion, not all of it, but some of the emotion of mm-hmm. these type of questions. And so I want to be very gentle and careful, but the scripture needs to guide our mm-hmm. emotions and the scripture needs to help us think clearly about this. So Romans 5 verse 12 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Remember, by the way, there where there is no sin, there is no death. So the fact that babies die, the fact that mm-hmm. severely handicapped people still die mm-hmm. is actually a, a, a testimony, an irrefutable evidence that their life has been impacted by sin mm-hmm. and they're not innocent. So therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, Romans five twelve, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, uh, Romans chapter 3 says all have fallen short, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So mm-hmm. there's no exceptions to that. Mm-hmm. Then it begs the question, like you ask, well, well, what do we do with those who, you know, what, what is our hope for heaven for those who, who die early? We mm-hmm. can't say they get to heaven because they're innocent. Mm-hmm. The scripture takes that away. We know that yeah. they're sinful. And uh, so, frankly, there's a lot more mystery on this than what we'd prefer. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. just to be really fa- fair... Uh, we believe that children who die uh, go to heaven, mm-hmm. but it's not because they're innocent. We, we, mm-hmm. we connect that to the character of God and to his sovereign election. In fact, it's the doctrine of election that mm-hmm. causes us to do this. One of the things I'd like our church family to be aware of is we have answered a number of these kind of challenging questions mm-hmm. on our church website. And uh, with all kinds of scripture. And the good thing about our website is if you go there to the questions where we've quoted scripture, mm-hmm. you just hover over that scripture and the scripture pops up right mm-hmm. on the screen. It's an awesome way to do study because it, right away you can be Link looking at them to other resources yeah. that allow them oh. for further study on it. So yeah. here's church. Here's what I'd like to recommend is if you go to uh, myncbc.org. So that stands for my Newcastle Bible Church. So my ncbc.org. That's our church website. And if you go to our church website and you click on the little about button and you go down to missions, values, mission, value, and beliefs. So that's under the about. And then you scroll all the way down on our mission, values, and beliefs. And all the way at the bottom, we have Newcastle Bible Church beliefs, frequently asked questions. And there's two questions there that are particularly relevant from uh, last week's sermon, there's a question that is, um, let's see if I can find it here. I think there was one on, yeah, do infants, yeah, what happens to infants who die 
And then, if I'm not mistaken, there was one on how can unbelievers do good things. Yeah, right? there's one on how mm -hmm. can unbelievers do good things. There's also, um, how come I can't see these now? Mm -hmm. um, be patient, it's coming. Okay, does the Bible teach an age of accountability? Okay, there there's a really helpful question and answer there. Um, about an age of accountability, and we quote there Psalm 51, verse 5, which again teaches that, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sinned, and my mother conceived me. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that my mom was a sinner, although she was. Mm -hmm. That that means I was conceived or brought forth into sin. Like, mm -hmm. I was, I every child, every human being is born into sin. And then there's another question, do infant children go to heaven when they die? And if so, on what basis? Mm -hmm. And the way that we answer that is we teach that based on God's sovereign mercy and grace, we have a secure hope that God will save the souls of our infants who die. This salvation is entirely by his grace and according to his electing purposes and not because of the child's sinlessness, which of mm -hmm. course we know doesn't exist. We must be careful not to exceed beyond what the scripture has revealed understanding that salvation is a marvelous and incomprehensible mercy of God's grace. And so if you go there, you can see some scriptures like from 2 Samuel 12, where mm -hmm. David believed that his infant child was with the Lord in heaven mm -hmm. after his death. And so that we, we make some discussions there, but I'd highly recommend if, though, if you're wrestling with those questions that you check out the missions, values, and beliefs page on our church website mm -hmm. and enjoy some further study there. So that's helpful. That's great. Um, so as we go a little bit further into the study from yesterday, um, you kind of reached a point in the sermon where you said, going to drop a bomb <laughs> and walk away from it. <laughs> so the good news is we have a podcast here who, that can actually go back and give you the extra five to ten minutes that you need in order to explain the bomb drop. Okay. And yep. uh, so let's, let's discuss that a little bit. So essentially there were two parts to it. One of them being two bombs. Uh, yeah, there's two bombs, two and one, right? <laughs> uh, so let's let's tackle the first one, and then we'll go to the second one. So the first one you talked about was that when the Bible speaks, uh, especially here of salvific election, that it's not referring in a corporate sense. And so corporate, we think about kind of a group, a a, a people wide sense, yeah. just particular, especially what he's talking about. Maybe as we get into in Ephesians. So what do you mean by that? What is corporate election? For some people, that might be kind of a first time hearing that concept. So explain what that means and then explain what you mean by the fact that this is not referring to a corporate election uh, unto salvation. Yeah, yeah. because mm -hmm. yeah. cl clearly the Bible does speak of a corporate mm -hmm. election. I'm not saying Think it about doesn't. about God's people. Right, right? Yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. So let's just define terms. So election is just uh, the teaching of Scripture mm -hmm. that refers to God's choice to save. Mm -hmm. So God chooses whom he will save. So he elects or he chooses or he mm -hmm. designates upon whom we'll be saved. So that's the doctrine of election. Corporate election would be that God chooses a people as a group corporately. Mm -hmm. And of course he does that all the way back to um, Genesis chapter 12 where mm -hmm. where he, he says, I'm gonna choose a people through Abraham. Mm -hmm. You know, all throughout the prophets we see this idea of a corporate election where God is saying, I didn't choose you, Israel, because of anything special in you, mm -hmm. but I chose you for the sake of my glory. You know? mm -hmm. And and so for sure there is this biblical concept of corporate election. Then you get in the New Testament and all of a sudden you start to see 
what sounds like God electing individuals for mm -hmm. salvation. You know, where he, he uh, says to the disciples, you know, you didn't choose me, but I chose you <laughs> yeah. and ordained you to go and bear fruits. Uh, and all of a sudden you get to um, those in Acts 13, 48, who those who are appointed to eternal life, mm -hmm. even though they weren't Jews, were, um, were, were believing, were given saving faith. Mm -hmm. And now you get to Ephesians, and, and we see that in Ephesians, Paul's writing to this mixed group of Jews and Gentiles, and he's telling them how they're all one mm -hmm. in Christ. And he says that before the beginning of time, mm -hmm. God elected you or ordained you to be saved. And so what some have done is they've said, well, these, these New Testament teachings about election are just corporate. They're just showing that God has election for mm -hmm. Uh, the nation of Israel. It's all about Israel. Mm -hmm. It's not about individuals. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're still, it's our choice that saves us. And they mm -hmm. kind of sidestep the doctrine of election to preserve mm -hmm. human dignity and human pride. And, and, and we'd say, no, that mm -hmm. what we understand about sin mm -hmm. makes that understanding of election mm -hmm. impossible. The sinfulness of sin in the mm -hmm. individual means that no individual seeks for God. Mm -hmm. None seek for God. And so because no individual will ever seek for God and because mm -hmm. sin has so corrupted the individual, mm -hmm. then election is not only corporate for the nation of Israel, mm -hmm. but it is also individual. It is also effective for the individual sinner. And it is God's sovereign election or sovereign choice. It is God's free choice that is un- uh, uninfluenced by any outside influence beyond his own will that determines whether or not a sinner is saved. Mm. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah. Am I explaining no, that I think clearly? It's helpful. Yeah. Um, understanding, I think, the, the difference there between the corporate and the individual is helpful. Yeah, I think we're going to really see that very clearly in Ephesians because you're right. You know, if, you know, we think about the book of Ephesians, how it begins with this predestined choosing uh, of God, you know, that God speaks of here. Problem is, you're talking about a book that is very much a mixed crowd here, especially yeah. chapter two, he's going to get into this rich understanding of how Christ is coming. He has broken down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. Yeah. The salvation is for all people. And so he's using this very idea of sovereign choice to refer to not just Jews, but he is referring to it with Gentiles all as people. well. All, all people. people. It's the same thing that we see in, Act, or in John chapter six, where he says, no one can mm -hmm. come to the Father unless the Father first draw him to himself. So, so God's election is both corporate for mm -hmm. the nation of Israel and individual for mm -hmm. the sinner. And it's actually our doctrine of sin mm -hmm. that mandates and requires that that's true. So then help us understand what is God's election based on? Because one of the other bombs that you talked about there was this idea that it's not based on, or it's a, we don't want to have a faulty understanding of what we mean when we talk about foreknowledge, because I think the, the common understanding we think of foreknowledge is this kind of almost crystal ball type thing where God looks into the, the future of time to see, you know, who will choose him, and those are the ones that he elects. Yeah. So you had mentioned on Sunday, that's, that's not a proper understanding of God's foreknowledge. So what is God's foreknowledge and how does that play into this idea of God's sovereign choice yeah. of salvation? Yeah, that's so good. So first Peter, um, chapter one, uh, is a kind of a classic passage for this foreknowledge doctrine. So 
First uh, Peter chapter one verse two. Um, I better start in verse one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Verse two, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience of Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling of His blood. When when the Bible refers to foreknowledge, mm-hmm. okay, as it does here in First Peter one two, and there might be some other places that I can't think of off the top of my head right now. Um, it's not referring to foresight, mm-hmm. like foreknowledge as foresight mm-hmm. would be that God can foresee what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's actually not the biblical understanding of foreknowledge. Mm-hmm. It's not that he foresees what is going to happen. It's that he mm-hmm. ordains mm-hmm. and determines what mm-hmm. is going to happen. Uh, biblical foreknowledge is deterministic, mm-hmm. not reactive, mm-hmm. and and we know that has to be true in the in the in, because of election because of what we preached on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Because think about it, if God's election, and this is very common, like a lot of us were taught this growing mm-hmm. up, right? So if you were taught this, it's okay, you're not bad, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But just wrestle your traditions with the Scripture, because think about this: if you would say, well. God's election is just his foreknowledge. He just looks down through the quarters of time and sees who's going to choose him, and then he elects them before they do. Well, but wait a minute. Since no one seeks for God, mm-hmm. Romans 3, mm-hmm. Psalm 14, Psalm 53. Mm-hmm. So if he's going to look down through time and see who's going to seek him, mm-hmm. who's he going to find? Yeah. Exactly. Right. So 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 the only reason mm-hmm. people do seek God mm-hmm. is that God first makes them him his sheep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then once they're part of his flock, mm-hmm. now they believe in him. Once yeah. they're appointed to eternal life, once they're elect, now they have saving faith. Mm-hmm. So no one can come to the Father unless the Father first draws them to himself. It is his election or his foreknowledge. Mm-hmm. It's his deterministic will that mm-hmm. ordains that and chooses them for salvation mm-hmm. that causes them to be saved. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other, you know, the other perspective of it there, you know, that's helpful thinking of is that I think you kind of highlighted there was the idea that if it's based on God looking into the future and let's say people are choosing, it makes God at our disposal in many ways that God is, is at least I think you said was, is reactionary, yeah. um, you know, and he's doing it, you know, for, on our behalf. And yeah. it's like, that's, that, that's a whole misunderstanding of the sovereignty of God and the fact that God is the one who is the author of salvation. Yeah, it's really true. You see this word foreknowledge one other place in scripture. Uh, I just looked it up really quick because I can't remember it off the top of my head, but Acts 2.23 where it says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Mm -hmm. You crucified and killed by the Mm -hmm. hands of lawless men. So there you can see foreknowledge Mm -hmm. is a definite plan. Mm -hmm. It's a plan. It's not just foresight. Mm -hmm. So a biblical understanding of foreknowledge is not foresight. It's mm-hmm. actually deterministic planning of God, which is a synonym then to his election. Okay. So we are basically at our, our time for today because we could keep going into so many different oh, this things. Is but fun. we want to, again, we want to 
tease out these these questions, recognize that probably this Sunday might not spark as many. So what we might do here, church, is we might leave you hanging for now just for you to mull <laughs> over some of the things that we talked about now. would encourage you between now and next week, send in any other questions that you might have in response to either the sermon from this past Sunday or from what we've discussed here on the podcast. I've already got a couple of questions that naturally come out of some of the things that we talked about here. And so maybe what we'll do is a part one and a part two. So next week we'll do part two of this idea of the sinfulness of man, because naturally when we hear this deterministic language, we then think to ourselves then, well, so what about sin then, yeah. right? Like, what does that mean? Are, are, can we really be responsible for our sin if this has been determined? Yes, the right passes? answer is yes. <laughs> so yeah, we won't leave you hanging with too much, but we will maybe try to flush that out next week for you. Uh, maybe we'll start out that way, but we'd be happy to answer any other questions that you send our way. Please make sure to do so. We love doing these for you. It is a joy. Thank you, Pastor Kevin, for teaching us so faithfully. And thank you, church, as well, for your um, willingness to learn and yeah, teachability. And, and I just want to say, like, if you're wrestling with some of these things, that's that's totally okay as long as you're doing it with an open Bible. Yep. Just don't close your heart to what God's Word actually says. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to ask questions. Um <laughs> None of us started here, right? We have gotten here because of our study of God's Word. Mm -hmm. And so let's, let's study God's Word together. Let's be Bereans. Remember, when Jesus taught this same message in John chapter 6, almost all the, all, all the people left him except his disciples. Mm -hmm. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Are you guys going to leave me too? Because this is offensive truth to our human mm -hmm. dignity. Mm -hmm. And the disciples said, Lord, where else were we going to go? You alone have words of eternal life. Yeah. So what's driving our conviction is not a desire to be antagonistic or offensive, but what's driving our yeah. conviction is what the Word of God says. What a joy to study Jesus and His marvelous glory with you, church. We love you. All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Go, uh, go mull this over. Go have yourself a mid-morning banana. You'll never, look, <laughs> you'll never look at bananas the same ever again. And we'll look forward to seeing you back again next week. We love you. Bye.